This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Samovar Tea. To find out more, visit samovarlife.com. And by listeners like you. To find out more about the podcast and make your own donation, visit insideactingpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Inside Acting. I'm Trevor Elgott. And I'm A.J. Meyer. And on this podcast we interview actors, directors, writers, filmmakers, agents, casting directors, anybody involved with the entertainment industry and we bring those interviews to you. And of course we want to keep it an open dialogue because we're just two dudes with a podcast so we give you a (laughs) myriad ways to do that. And you can find all of those on our website at InsideActingPodcast.com. And on this episode, we have an interview with writer, director, photographer, actor, Adam Emperor Southard. Um, he wrote and uh, wrote the music and the book for Group, the musical that uh, yours truly just did. And uh, it's a pretty cool interview about art and the, the kind of nature of creativity and, and all that kind of fun stuff. So make sure you guys stick around for that. We wanted to do a little bit of a, a recap and talk about the response that we've been getting to last week's episode, which was our um, audition horror stories episode. Yeah. We got uh, a bunch of uh, emails and voicemails that we wanted to just kind of follow up with some of those stories and, and get the uh, the results yeah. from what happened. So yeah. It was just fun to hear about the various crap that we go through sometimes as actors. And uh, a couple of you guys, like like AJ just said, followed up. Um, we, have a, we got a voicemail from Bethany who... Who uh, called in and and if you guys remember, she was the one who kind of went on that sketchy audition in a sketchy part of town where there was like a cop and some dude inviting her in for a drink and all this stuff. She called to say that actually she's a former boxer, <laughs> it's professional so, boxer. She, she felt pretty confident, uh, you know. I mean, not confident, but you know, she she clearly could have held her own in a situation like that. And not that, and she also made it. You know, a point to say that she doesn't definitely doesn't advocate actors putting themselves in situations like that. It was kind of awesome to hear that that story suddenly got way cooler because she could have like totally whooped <laughs> that guy's ass, just like <laughs> tore it up if she needed to. We also heard back from uh, Sean Michael Flattery, who was the uh, the one who told us about like this crazy. 18 hour yeah like the ordeal the car breaking down yeah and we we said on the podcast we we're like well sean what happened you didn't tell us what happened you didn't tell us the end of the story turns out sean books the job how awesome is that he actually got an offer it, w- it came like a week later and even cooler than that is he had already booked another job and had to turn those suckers down, <laughs> which just everything about that just made me super happy. So yeah. congratulations on that, Sean. That was that was thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And uh, we had a, a follow up email from a longtime listener, uh, Tori, and she wrote in and just kind of contributed a, a kind of post horror story episode story. You know what I'm trying to say. She wrote in with her own story, but after we had the, the horror <laughs> stories episode, and she wrote in to talk about how she put that she she knows basic piano on her resume, and uh, when she went to this audition, you know, she it was I guess it was for some sort of uh, play. It was like a comedic play, and mm-hmm. a lot of it was under wraps, so she didn't know a lot about it, and there was really no indication that she would need to be a piano player. Uh, in the actual show. So long story short, she does the audition, gets the book for the role, and they want her to play like various uh, versions of these different kind of songs by like Elvis Costello and two or three other people. And they want her to like do like jazz improvisations and stuff like that. And, and she said she had to call the producers and be like, okay, look, basic piano to me means this. And, um, uh, but she said she was able to like really kind of crush it and get in there and just come up with a few kind of, I guess, modified versions of these songs that she couldn't Mm -hmm. play. And she said it was pretty intense, but she pulled it off in the end and then it went really well. Which I thought was kind of cool, you know? It's like, here was somebody who was, she was given a choice. She could have been like, I can't do that and just dropped out. But instead she was like, no, man, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to find a way around it. And, yeah. 
and she, so she took the the tougher road, but it all worked out. I mean, both that's, that's, her and Joe actually ended up booking the part. Yeah, it's really you know, awesome. So it's, it's just really cool. Yeah, to hear. So thank you guys again. As Trevor said, like we're so stoked that everybody sent in those stories, and we had a good laugh, and apparently a lot of our listeners had a good laugh. <laughs> so uh, we're happy to hear that. So it's been a little while since uh, we've we've done a catch up. I mean, it's been at least a week and a half now. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going on with you, dude? I'll just say that I have been having my first ever pilot season. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to share that. Yeah. Like I've gone out on four. And just I just in the past few months. Yes, in the past Kick month, ass, man. In the past month, and I and I went to producers on one. Um, which is a whole other story that's that's really funny that maybe I'll tell later because it's a little bit of a longer story. But a couple of things that I've learned from my experiences. First is I think the reason I never had a quote-unquote pilot season is because my representation just wasn't in order. Mm-hmm. Like I had an agent, but they weren't really doing much for me. The, every single audition I've gotten has come through my agent, not my manager, although you know she's working her tail off for me as well. But the agent at the agency that is technically hip-pocketing me at the moment, he keeps hitting these RBIs for her and me. And I've been going into some pretty big rooms. And the, the, the producer session I went to was actually at Sony. I, I was like, oh, this is pilot season. And I'm actually exhausted from it hmm. right now. And hmm. I, I'm, once again, not trying to complain or whatever. But, you know, I've got my thrival job. <laughs> <laughs> my thrival job plural. plural i've got the podcast and i've got you know all these other projects that i'm involved in <clears throat> and then all of a sudden i have this audition this audition this audition. One, you know two of them were back to back days and i'm trying to get off book so i'm off book when i go into the audition and I, I i managed to do that i went in off book on every single one i like how we were just talking on the podcast about how there's not not that there's no such thing as pilot season but that didn't really feel yeah. like yeah. Anything was happening, and then all of a sudden, like, boom, like I had three. And that sort of segues into the the big learn that I took away from, from my auditions um, over the last couple of weeks that I really wanted to share on the podcast. I got the callback for the producer session at Sony while I was in the initial audition. So I was in the initial audition. They told me to go sit outside for a second. I went and sat outside. The assistant comes out, and she's like, we're calling you back to producers. It's in 30 minutes, and it's in the same room. Wow. And I was like, uh, okay. This was this week? Mm-hmm. Kick ass, man. So I went out to the lot, and I found a just a place to kind of sit that was quiet and nice and grassy and like just kind of be by myself and be quiet and just go over my lines and relax. And I'm sitting there, and about 10 minutes before I have to go back into the room, I start to get nervous. And I'm like, why am I nervous? I'm going to do go in there. I'm going to do the exact same thing I just did. I don't have to go anywhere. I'm not running late. Oh my gosh, I just figured it out. That's why I'm nervous. I have a tendency, as I'm sure a lot of actors can, you know, attest to, I have a tendency to show up exactly on time for my auditions. In other words, I wait to the last minute to get there. I don't give myself enough time to get there early and I kind of get there right at the last minute. So very often I'm, I'm, I'm that actor that Marcy Learoff was talking about where I'm kind of, I don't do it in the room. But right before I walk into the room, I'm freaking out. I'm trying to find parking. I'm trying to get there. I'm fighting through traffic. I get there. I find parking. I'm running to the audition room. And then, of course, it's hurry up and wait because you end up waiting yeah. for because yeah. they're running three or four actors or three or four appointments behind. And I thought to myself, I have got to stop that because I thought about you know Pavlov's dog, essentially. Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. But it's classical conditioning. I've conditioned myself to be nervous right before an audition mm. from running late. Yeah. And I was sitting right outside the room where I needed to be. And five, ten minutes before the audition, I started getting nervous. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have got to reprogram my brain. Because if I do this to myself, I'm going to be nervous walking into every audition no matter what I do. So my new goal is to be there 15 minutes early. And I know that's not always going to be possible, 
But what I'm going to do is every time that I'm nervous before an audition, I'm going to just make a mental note of that and say like, and try to figure out why I'm nervous and maybe tell myself a helpful story in the words of Bjorn Johnson. What's been going on with you, man? I found out who got the role that I did not get for that audition. And he's like a a big time British actor. So I I don't feel as, as horrible about that audition now. Um, I do on a personal level because I know I could have been better, but, uh, they said they didn't want name actors and this guy's a name. So I don't want to talk about who it is and what the show is and whatnot, but um, that's what they wanted and that's what they got. So, um, there was that, um, I, I shot a couple of really funny scenes for director's reel over the weekend. Um, uh, one of our listeners who's helping us kind of get in touch with some more guests added me to this Facebook group called, uh, actors helping actors, I think is what it's called. Uh-huh. And, um, like three days after he added me, I saw a little notice go out that said like, Hey, this, this actor just dropped out of this director's reel shoot. We could use somebody. And so I, I responded and said, Hey, I'd love to learn more about the scenes. And he sent me the, uh, the spots and they're really funny. And so I went and we shot it and it was with a bunch of guys who work, you know, during the day on actual production. So it was a really smooth process. It was a lot of fun. And just today I, uh, I, I did, um, uh, center theater groups education program where you did this last year, I think Yeah, where you go to a middle school and you read a bunch of kind of like students plays as they're being developed. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was, it was the coolest experience. I went off and did that today. It was the first day we did that. And, um, you know, this, this, the plays right now are like a page and a half each, right? but it was really cool to help develop work with kids that way. It's, it's, those things are so fascinating to me because at that age, your needs are so like primal because what does a kid need? You know, he wants, he wants to be loved. He or she wants to eat and sleep and like, you know, have fun. Yeah. So like your the needs are like, so like raw. So then it's like, you take those needs and then you put over it this uninhibited imagination. And all of a sudden you have like, you know, um, my friend, our friend, our friend, Jen had to read this one that was like a, she was like an international spy who was like running from the police or something. I don't know what it was, but it, it's just like their imaginations are just so unhinged. It's, it's fantastic. That's cool. That was a really rewarding experience. We've still got three or four more sessions to go. So that's really it for me this week, man. You know, just, cool. um, training better. I went to Disneyland yesterday. It was you my to, first. I went to Disneyland on Sunday. Yeah. It's my first time there. You, you'd never been to Disneyland nope. before. Nope. That's amazing. Pretty awesome. It's so magical. <laughs> I love it. There. I saw Mary Poppins. I love it. There. got some uh, some listener uh, questions to get to we've got uh, an email and a couple of voicemails uh, this first email comes to us from a listener Kate and uh, Trevor I think you've got this one right yeah she Kate wrote she Kate's been listening and, and she's been really great at, at being in touch with us and she wrote in uh, a few days ago and, and asked us um, uh, what our thoughts were about uh, reels in agent meetings and specifically she said she was going into meetings with six agents that she had selected and she wanted to know if she should bring a DVD of her reel or if she should just kind of direct agents to her website. Congrats on being specific by the, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. win number one. And, and, uh, I, I kind of thought my, I mean, my initial reaction was my initial gut reaction was just send them to the website, you know, save the plastic, like global warming, blah, blah, blah. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I guess it's probably better to be overprepared. Give them a choice. Tell them you have a reel with you if they want it, but um, also give them the option of going to your website. And most of them will probably say, oh, yeah, you know, is it on your resume here? I'll just, I'll check it on your website. And then maybe offer, I didn't say this in the email, but maybe offer right there to sit down with them and get them to watch it with you. I feel like that's what you've got to do. Yeah. Like, I mean, Tim Ferriss talks about this in his book, Four Hour Work Week. He says, like, when you're pitching, when you're getting ideas for a product you might want to create, ask people if they would buy it. And if they say yes, he says, great, I've got one in my trunk right now. Are you ready? And if they say, oh, blah, 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 then you know that they wouldn't. Then you've got to tweak your pitch or whatever, or you've got to tweak your presentation or something. He talks about using that as kind of a test. Oh, interesting. And so 
I, I kind of think it'd be interesting if Kate were to go in there and say, yeah, you want to watch my reel right now? It's on my website. Is this computer hooked up to the internet? And, and if they're like, oh, well, I don't know. It's like, okay, cool. Then we got to go back and think about what am I not selling correctly? Why are they not excited to watch my reel? Right. You know? Right. So, so yeah, I mean, the, but the, the short answer was, I think, be go above and beyond and bring both the DVD and have it on the website ready. Yeah. Got uh, a couple of voicemails. Uh, one from a listener named Brandon, who looks like he might be moving out here soon from uh, Minnesota. First off, I just wanted to thank you guys for answering my last voicemail. Really appreciate it. Uh, I think you thought my name was Brent. But that's cool. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I, I think out. that I wanted was to pick me. your brain one more time. I'm finally <laughs> making a big move out to LA in April, and I was wondering if you guys had any advice, suggestions, what have you, about things I needed to see, do, you know, get done my first year there, first six months there. So, uh, yeah, if you guys got any advice for me, I really appreciate it. Right on. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, this is a good question. It's a big question. I think it's it's kind of one of those questions we're attempting to answer with the entire podcast. So, we're you know, we're working on some stuff to kind of hopefully kind of congeal some of this information uh, down into... Um, something a little bit more bite-sized for people. Yeah. Um, but uh, right off the bat, I mean, what are like the first three or four things you think of that you would just immediately, immediately need to get on when you get into town? I have a hard time answering this question personally because I, I was I, I eased into the LA scene as it were because I went to school here, so I was able yeah. to kind of watch it from this little insulated box that is UCLA and kind of look out of the box and see what other people are doing and watch my friends kind of, you know, be, have, have su- success and have failures. And, and, and it, it was just it was sort of a, a, a really easy way to kind of ease my way into, into, into the, the business here. You, on the other hand, did <laughs> the ballsy thing that many, many of our listeners have you know talked about and wrote in and called in about and just came out here. And just did it. Like, yeah. you know, one day you didn't live in Los Angeles and one day you did. And that's <laughs> not what I did. Um, so for me, I, I have a hard time. I'm like, you know, it's, it's, it is one of the reasons I chose to go to school here. You know, when I was thinking about what school to attend and I got accepted to a few, I, I was like, well, if I'm, at, if I'm at UCLA, I'm already there. I'm already part right. of it. I'm already in it. You right. know, and it's one thing to like go and get your training at like, you know, another school and get get good at the um, the craft and then have to come out here and learn the business. Yeah. It's another thing to be watching the business while you're learning the craft. I'm going to have to defer to you, man. Like, What kind of stuff did you do in that first six months to a year? Sure. Uh, well, I, I, I'd rather not talk about what I did because it wasn't much because I didn't know. Um, <laughs> it took. It's taken me this long to feel like I have a grip on how this industry works and what it's really all about and and you know what acting really is you know i mean i've been out here for over 7 years and it's taken me this long to kind of feel like oh okay maybe a lot of that has to do with age maybe it has to do with the school of hard knocks i mean i'm not really sure but uh i would say the first things you need to do are i mean this is all kind of obvious stuff but get your materials in order get some headshots that look like you um that that you know have colors that work with your skin tone and your eyes and your hair color and stuff like that get your resume formatted properly Get a reel. A reel is the most important thing, probably, arguably, that you could have next to a headshot. And um, go out and shoot stuff with with people. Uh, I submit to student films. Get on LA Casting, Actors Access. That's kind of the obvious stuff. The thing that I think that most actors don't do that's extremely important is to get a vision for what you want your career over the next couple of years to be, and then start working on it. So if you want to be a film actor you know, start looking at the kind of films that you want to be in and start trying to get associated with people who are creating films like that, whether it's through one of these casting services, whether it's through a a group of actors that you found on Craigslist that meet every week and make films, whether, you know, whatever it is, find a way to do that. If you want to be a TV actor, find the shows that you want to be on, on TV, find out who casts them and then get into casting director workshops with those people and then create postcards to follow up with these casting directors, get on their radar, you know, get, Make it so that you are someone that they think of that they can trust as someone who's busy and working and, and proactive and productive, as Brian Vermeer would say. And then don't forget to chill out and take it easy and, and have fun because it's it's L.A. And if you're not enjoying the beach every once in a while and if you're not, if you're just working, working, working all the time, then 
that's kind of a waste. <laughs> so learn to balance those things and, uh, and good luck, dude. The only thing that I would add is, uh, it reminded me when you said that you've been here for seven years and you feel like you're just getting a handle on it. Um, my cousin who was on Broadway for like five, six years said, you know, you have to give yourself like 10 years. Yeah. You said uh, that about a, a, a friend you had a little while ago who was thinking of moving to LA and, and then she was like, but I'd have to give up all my contacts and all the kind of networks I've built up over the past 10 oh, years. Oh, in New York. Yeah. My friend Danielle start- in New York. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And well, she said that she's the one that said yeah. like, it would take me 10 years. And it's just so interesting that she has the New York experience. My cousin has the New York experience. And my cousin said, you know, you have to give yourself 10 years. So my advice that I would add on to what Trevor said is just to make sure that you get yourself settled. Like, Make sure that you have a, a, a flexible, well-paying, well-paid job. I mean, I know that that sounds like a complete oxymoron, and that's because it is. But just make sure that like you can feed yourself. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you have a place to live. Make sure that you have good friends. Find a theater company or, like Trev said, a group of friends to shoot with. It's not necessarily uh, the the fact that you're going to be generating content is half of what's important about that. The other half is that you'll have a family in Los yes. Angeles. You've heard us talk about that before, hopefully. Yeah, with the, on, it's been, with the ensemble. It's been absolutely crucial for me. And if you don't have those things, it makes it so much easier for you to make that quote-unquote next step be going back home. Brandon's like, rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind, <laughs> I, play. I hope that helps, dude. Um, and I, I know a lot of that's probably seemed kind of obvious, but, you know, it's the little things that, that add up. And there's not – you can't say enough for uh, for, you know, a good headshot, a really good headshot. Well, and you'd be surprised – I, and I learned this the first time I went to Actor Fest in 2009. You'd be surprised how many actors don't do this kind of stuff. You I go, know. oh, yeah, this stuff's like the most obvious thing in the world. Well, there's a lot of actors out there who don't do it when they first get to Los Angeles or don't understand the game. I, I mentioned this in the, in the, in the Actor Fest 2009 episode that we did. I, we literally had people raising their hand in these, pa- you know, there's a panel of like the biggest casting directors in Los Angeles are sitting up on the stage and, you know, an actor raises their hand and is like, um, is a headshot important? And like, you know, what, what should it be on my resume? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm just thinking to myself, wow, these are the people who are, you know, quote unquote, fresh off the bus from, yeah. and we know, all started somewhere, you know, so I, I get it. I, I was there. I'm not making I, fun of yeah, them yeah, at all. Trust me. I'm not, this is not me making fun of them. This is me going, oh wow, there's a, there's a, a lot of people out there who have a lot to learn. It's not, yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't know how to speak when I was born. So we, I mean, we all have to, <laughs> right, right. I still right. don't know how to speak. We all have a lot to learn that I'm not making fun of these uh, people by any means. I'm just saying that there's a lot of actors out there who don't do the basic stuff. Yeah. This, because maybe they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Enough can't be said for that. We should roll into our interview with Adam. Yes, sir. Which is, we kind of, uh, we, we kind of alluded to at the beginning is, is, uh, is a great interview. Adam actually brought his guitar along for the interview and, and played some music for us. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Uh, I should quickly say that I mispronounced his name at the very top of the interview. I called him Adam Emperor Southard and his name is actually Adam Emperor Southard. And I also said he, he wrote some of the music for group or most of the music when in fact he wrote all of the music, uh, save a little bit of uh, accompaniment by uh, Josh Allen, one of the other musicians in the show. So um, ignore that first part and then uh, enjoy the rest of the interview and we'll see you guys on the other side. Okay, guys, welcome back. This is Trev, and I'm sitting here with someone uh, I'm very excited to have on the podcast. His name's Adam Emperor Southard, and he is a writer, composer, and an actor, and a photographer, another multi-hyphenate oh, on the podcast. And uh, I know Adam because he wrote uh, both the script and much of the music for Group, the musical that I recently did. Any long-time listeners of the podcast <clears throat> heard me talk about that quite a bit, and uh and uh, it was a really good show, and Adam's uh, definitely a, a triple, quadruple threat. So uh, I'm excited to have you on. Thanks for being here, Adam. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Cool. So um, we, um, as you know, you've listened to the podcast before, so you know kind of what we do and what this is about. Um, and we really like to kind of start at the beginning. So I, I oh, just, no. just before we started recording, <laughs> I know you said you weren't from L.A. You're from Michigan originally. I am, yeah. I'm from Wyoming, Michigan, which is right near Grand Rapids. Right and I uh, grew up on uh, the Grand Rapids Civic Theater, actually. Um, that's where I got my start in kindergarten. So way back when. 
Right on. And did you know from a young age that you were uh, you were destined for life in the entertainment industry? <laughs> I was doomed to it, maybe. <laughs> uh, I just loved it. Uh, you know, I went in. Uh, how it all started is I went in for an audition uh, for The Wizard of Oz, and my brother wanted to audition to be a munchkin, and I was sitting there in the back, and I was, what, four, five years old in kindergarten, and I figured, why not? i got to get up there. So I asked my mom if I can audition, and she figured it would be cute. So I went up there, and I, I read the lines. I did everything, <laughs> and uh, they told me I was too small to be a munchkin, which may be the only time that sentence was uttered. Wow. And uh, <laughs> oh, kindergarten. So uh, they asked me to be Toto. And did a full body costume, crawling on my hands and knees for The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I was Toto. And uh, that was kind of wonderful. And there's quotes like <laughs> in the local papers where they would interview me after the fact. And just how much I loved it and how I loved being on the stage and getting able to watch it every night. You know, And uh, just kind of got hooked. There it was. So that was it. That was that your was introduction it. to the... As a dog, yeah. The, the it was all downhill from there, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Best role, yeah. Right on. So so you came out to L.A. after you went to after you graduated school? or Sort of, kind of, not at all. Uh, after two years, actually. Uh, I went to a small liberal arts college, uh, Albion College in Michigan, where I met my wife. And I went there because Jeff Daniels was teaching classes. Uh, he's affiliated with the Purple Rose Theater because mm-hmm. uh, he was in the Purple Rose of Cairo, the Woody Allen film. And so he named his theater the Purple Rose Theater, and he has it right near Albion College, about a half hour away. So he was teaching classes there, and I thought, what a kind of a cool opportunity to learn from Jeff Daniels while staying in Michigan. And was there for two years, finished everything I had to for my degree, and realized I had two years of filler classes, and that wasn't going to do much for my career. So I got the hell out of there and moved to L.A. Wait, so so you, you took... What was you majored in theater? I I was I was a theater major. I had a few other things going on, but the school was kind of interesting, where you could pile your classes like your requirements into a short amount of time if you did it right. And so I literally finished all my requirements for just about everything for my degree in the first two years, and realized that you know it's just going to be two years of adding another degree. Or wow. what, what was the point? So you, so you <laughs> did not technically graduate then? No, no, sir. In fact, I'm currently enrolled uh, through Penn State. I'm kind of taking classes every now and then whenever I get a chance uh, from here. <laughs> oh, really? So <laughs> yeah. online or? Uh... It is. It's online. It's the same same professor, same everything. It's kind of this oh, weird that's thing. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. It, I just think it'll be really confusing uh, for people to see on my resume someday a degree from Penn State while living in Los Angeles. Just, right. I like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. So when how old were you then when you came out to LA? You said you packed up your bags after two years. Seven. You must have been. No, um, I was, <laughs> I don't know, at 20? Yeah, I was 20. Yes, because okay. I remember turning 21 and, and calling my girlfriend, who is now my wife. Uh, on the phone, yes, with too much wine in my belly. Yes, I must have been t- 20 at the time. And was that, uh, were you ready for L.A. when you came out? <laughs> Is anyone? Look, I moved out to L.A. SAG eligible during the SAG strike, so that was brilliant. That was really clever of <laughs> me. I, I immediately joined SAG, and I sent out hundreds of headshots to every agent uh, out here during the SAG strike. So that was really clever, and I'm sure... All of those got put immediately in the trash. Timing is everything, I'm afraid. Uh, so, yeah, I did a lot of extra work and odds and ends jobs. And, God, here we are 10 years later. Right on. Yeah. Right on. We talk a lot about the uh, the age thing on the podcast. And there's a, a little bit of a debate that's been kind of spanning a few episodes about mm. actors who come out. Um skipping out on high school and college to come out and kind of capitalize on their youth. And then other actors who, who prefer to go and kind of go and refine their, you know, their chops and cut their teeth and yeah in school and then come out here with that experience and that, that well, let me, uh, let me tell you the best the best acting class i ever took uh wasn't an acting class at all and i don't know what uh, your guys's impression of his extra work or stand and work and things like that on the show uh sometimes it can be beneficial if you're on the right set i was a stand-in for shia labeouf it's kind of huge now but it was back when he was doing the movie Holes, and he was, I think he was 15 at the time. So there were huge restrictions on how many hours they could have him on set, which meant that they would call me in two hours before he was called, and I would say two hours after he was called. So I was doing 16-hour days every day for like three or four months. But it was me and the director who directed The Fugitive, by the way, John Voight and Sigourney Weaver, blocking scenes, rehearsing the scene. Shia would show up. I'd show him what his blocking was, and then he would do it. He'd get all the fun stuff. But I literally had two hours before and two hours after every day working with John Voight and Scorny Weaver. Like, 
you can't buy that's that kind of training, cool. right? Like, yeah. that's not typical for stand-in work. I'm not trying to say, oh, go be a stand-in. You'll get to work with John Voight. But, I mean, it was just just to watch them work. I mean, my God. And to be a part of it. And, like, I don't think they gave a darn about who I was and or yeah. remember who I am. But the point was is I enjoyed it and I learned from it. And, uh, you know, just about hitting your marks and where the cameras are and working with the director. Like, it was on the field research really that's really cool yeah it was fun it worked out well now you so you've been on here since you're about 20 years old and so it's uh it's about 10 years later or so and you are (laughs) you are uh you are now strictly i think a commercial actor is that correct yeah i think i mentioned that to you before where i i found that if you don't have the passion and desire to act and work on your craft every single day of your life like it's your job whether you're really working or not you shouldn't do it um, <laughs> you just, hmm. your heart's not in it. And for me, as soon as I started, uh, really getting into playwriting, uh, really finding out what I'm supposed to be doing in this life, uh, the acting thing just kind of fell by the wayside. And now I have a commercial, uh, I have a commercial agent and he sends me out and I, and I audition and I enjoy that fine, but I'm not actively pursuing, um, theatrical work right now. Uh, mm. but I'll tell you what, uh, not caring has done wonders for my auditions. Yeah. <laughs> Elaborate on that. That's, okay, quite, that's right, actually okay. fascinating. I think I know a little bit of what you mean. Yeah. I think every actor probably knows a little bit of that, but can you clarify it's, that? It's not about... When I say not caring, I don't mean a lack of professionalism. Show up on time. Show up early. Look the part. Be prepared. But <laughs> desperation reads on camera a lot. Mm. And for a commercial audition, uh, everyone in there just is thinking in the back of their mind the whole time, I might get $10,000 if I book this and my life will change. <laughs> and and for me, I just I don't care anymore. You know what? Before I had this audition yesterday, I was fine. And when I don't get a call back tomorrow, I'll be fine. So you know what? This means nothing to me. I'm going to go in, do my job, and get out. I'm not desperate. I don't care. I just am professional. I make a choice, and I go. And I've landed a callback for every commercial audition I've been on since I gave up on acting. So figure that one out. Wow, it's weird. Now, how do you separate? How do you? How do you <laughs> but how do you do that? Because I mean, ten thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars. This is a lot of money, yeah. and you go in, and it could change your life. But and it doesn't. You know, you've got a family it, to support and everything. I it mean, doesn't how? exist. It's not a real thing until it's a real thing. So you can't think about you can't think about it that way. Uh, for me, I just you know I go and I do the job. I mean, most of them are ridiculous. You know, I mean, yeah. things that <laughs> commercial <laughs> auditions. It's not even acting. It's like you know, if you look the part, great. And if you make the choice that they remember about you, that's great. But other than that, there's not much you can do. Um, hmm. You're not really acting much in commercials. If if you are too much, I think it's really going to read. They most most of the time, I go in there and you like slate and say hi, and you do it like you're in there for thirty seconds and you get the hell out. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know how much craft is involved there. And I don't mean to belittle in commercial actors because, my God, they're amazing. And I'm friends with a number of them, and I'm infinitely jealous of them. But, again, uh, for me, being casual about it and not desperate about it really helps. That's great. So when you when you kind of hit this point in your life where you said, I don't know if I want to be a theatrical actor so much as I want to really right. focus on my writing – Roughly how old were you when that happened? <laughs> I'm curious because they say people go through a shift, a yeah. kind of quantum oh. shift around 27, 28 years old. Okay, that's that's about right. Uh, Is that about 29. when it kicked in? I mean, I had been, I had been writing... I've been doing a lot of things for a long time. This is, this is my problem. As you mentioned when we started, uh, I, I do a lot of things. Um, if you go to my website now, I'm trying to rebrand or brand for the first time, I suppose, uh, myself. And even when you go there, it still says... It says, you know, uh, playwright, actor, composer, photographer. I do a lot of things. And and I found that my whole life, whenever I'd start to have success in one of those fields, I would be drawn, like, to a shiny object in one of the others. (laughs) And, like, never let myself really have success. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, really, Mm -hmm. I mean, I find... I found it difficult to follow through on things for a long time. You know, like, I'd create something and we'd start... And then just nothing would ever happen with it. And sometimes it's my fault, sometimes it's others, but that's just so common uh, in my life, at least it was early on. And this play uh, group that we were talking about earlier was the first time that I got in so deep with the project that other people started relying to me, uh, relying on me, <laughs> which mm. meant that I wasn't allowed to give up on it. Yeah. And pushing through, pushing through. It feels like it's the first time I've finished something on my own, really. 
Um, but you've got short plays and, and other I've got a lot of herb. things that I've created, but what have I done with them? I mean, they're on my computer somewhere. I mean, who cares? Like, I have screenplays that I may never share with anybody. So do they exist? I mean, Tree Falls in the Woods? I don't know. <laughs> right, um, right, uh, right. It's a, so this is the first time that I actually followed through with it and found out, okay, this is like not just what I like doing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And the fact that it's actually happened and that it went well and that there's potential for other things to happen as well. Uh, it's, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it, but it's, uh, it's pretty exciting to finally figure it out. That's cool. So on, the, on that note of, of creativity, you said before we started recording here mm-hmm. that you wanted to touch on a little bit about maybe how you don't feel it's right to kind of push creativity. Oh, okay. Yet, yeah, yeah. yet you have these, this thing, which I think is very common. I struggle with the same thing where it's like, this is cool. Oh, wait, what's that? That's cool. Oh, wait, what's this? And you never really right. – you spread yourself real thin. Yeah. And I do the same thing, and I'm trying to figure out how to stick with something. But if you stick with something, you have to kind of push it. You have to, to push the creativity That's there true. a little bit. So how do, you, how do you balance that? Okay. Let me – Riddle me that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just – what is art? <laughs> um, okay, all right. So I think I think I can describe this best by, by explaining to you how I've how I'm writing this new song for my next musical. It started about four days ago. I saw your Facebook update. <laughs> what did so I say? You said something about feeling like every song you ever you write is the best one ever. Oh God, that's so true. I know every musician. Whatever I wrote most recently is the best thing I've done. Yeah. Whether it's is or not, it feels that. Which that is last good. one's crap, but this one is. <laughs> that's brilliant. right. This one's the best. Yeah. You know what though? If you if you feel that way, boy, is that an easy way to stay motivated to keep creating? Because mm. what's the next one going to be? It's going to be better. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. So the new song. I sat down on the piano and I played just four chords, a new progression I've never never played before. I liked it, started singing along with it, put it away, forgot about it, went in the shower, ate breakfast, went back to the piano. Okay, it's still there. All right. What are these next three chords that go with it? All right, that's nice. Think about it, think about it. You know what? I like it enough. I'm going to record on my iPhone. Walk away, come back the next day. Oh, they're still there. Oh, when I'm singing along to it, it's different lyrics, it's different melodies. Okay, I better record this. This one's kind of good. Oh, here's another three chords. A week later, maybe, uh, five, six days. I'm still kind of playing with it and toying with it, but now I hear harmonies, I hear counterparts, I hear at least four or five different characters singing it. I don't know what it's about. I don't know where it fits in the play, who's singing it. I don't have any idea, but I'll tell you what, it could be the tentpole of the new musical. I'm really proud of it um, because it's the last thing I wrote. But no, I, I'm, I like it, and I think it's going somewhere. And so for this song, what this song needed was for me not to push, for me to let it marinate, for me to think about it, just kind of let it go. And every time I came back, it was a little different. It evolved a little more. So it wasn't about pushing it. It was just kind of letting it breathe on its own. Hmm. And, uh, and I say that because that's what worked for that song. Um, go back to group. The song deserved better. It's this two-minute song by Dr. Allen. And it's just this... It's just like his one moment that he, we kind of get inside his head through song. It's like the only time that we do that with him. And I wrote that in literally five minutes. As soon as I started playing the chords, I was trying to write. And this is, this is how my brain works. I sat down to write an argument song between this, this couple. And I ended up writing these, this little progression of like seven or eight chords that was just really kind of sad and pretty. And I thought, well, that doesn't work at all. And then when I started singing about it, like I, I, I said, I've been waiting for you. And I thought, oh. Oh, I know who this song is. And and I and it was done within minutes. I called up Josh, said I have to come over. I went over there and I played it for him. He says, I hear electric guitar and I said, I don't prove it. And he started <laughs> playing electric guitar and we recorded it within like a half hour. And so that song had to be done in the moment, in that flash in the pan, boom, creativity spark hit. I knew the character, it was well established. I was like I had six rewrites by then, so by then I was so ingrained in who that guy was and what he needed that it just came out super fast and was able to just go, 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 record it, done. Whereas this new song needs to marinate, needs to take time. So it's just, it's about harnessing the creativity when it's there and not forcing it. So Mm. like when people say things like, uh, you know, writer's block, I I don't understand that because where's that pressure coming from? Why are you putting that pressure on you? Uh, Unless you have some sort of deadline from a studio or something my god who cares relax let it go and come back to it it'll it'll happen i mean you don't have to be thinking about a song for it to evolve you don't have to be thinking about a scene for it to evolve because your brain is constantly working whether you're trying to or not um you know it's just the complexity of being human you don't know what's going to happen next or what you're thinking about but somewhere in there it's happening and when you go back to it maybe you're a different person maybe you're in a different mood maybe a different food that day but it's going to be different when you go back to it, and it's going to grow on its own. Don't force it. Just go with it. 
That's interesting. So it, it almost sounds to me like the best thing to do would just be to capture those these ideas yes. as they kind of show up and then go back when you feel pulled to it. Maybe. Yeah, be, be ready. <laughs> be ready to ride the creativity when it happens and to not mm. force it. Because if you're, if you're a creative person, if, and, and you are, if you have the guts to move to L.A. or to move to a major city and pursue your dreams, you're a creative enough person to create something. Um, so just ride it out and don't force it. It'll happen. And that being said, some people... Some personalities really need deadlines, really need to be forced. But that sounds to me like more like a personality thing than a creative process. Mm, um, mm. Maybe you need that in your life because you're not a focused person. That's one thing, and I totally get that. Um, but for me, I just, you know, I go through periods of just spurts of extreme creativity where I could probably write a whole CD in a day just because that's where I am that day. Um, but it's not like that every day, and I don't get stressed when I'm not. You know. What do you say to people who say, oh, I'm not creative or I'm not, I, I'm not musical, I can't write? What do you say to people who, who are creative people but who s- say that to you? Okay. All right. Well, you've been talking a lot lately on the show about actors creating for themselves. Mm-hmm. All right. I love this. I, um, I don't think all actors should be writers, but I think uh, it's important, as we were talking earlier, to continually – Flex your acting muscles to continually stay busy. And if you can't afford acting classes and you can't afford to go to Samuel French every day and buy a new play, which you probably should, like every day. <laughs> I, I did it. You see my bookshelf in my place. It's just, it's just covered because there was a time where I was constantly reading, constantly working on new things. And I think that's so important. But if financially that's not working for you or you want to try something new, creating for yourself and your friends is, is a wonderful way to just kind of keep flexing it and to think about art in a different way because it forces you to look at it, uh, to look at writing, to look at scripts as what does this person need? How do they get it? What's the obstacle? It's just the same as an acting process. It's the same deal. Um, how did we get here? Oh, uh, so I think it's a great exercise and I think it's worthwhile and you never know what's going to come of it. So, so yeah, just... I love the idea of creating something with others. And if you hit a roadblock, if you feel like you're stumped, ask your friends. I mean, what are you, what are you so prideful to not share your ideas with others? Um, you know, I, maybe there's a fear of someone stealing your idea and making money. Well, okay, really? Have you made money off your work? Why would someone else hmm. just relax and, yeah. and ride the wave? And if, if things are happening, if things are being creative, you're going to create more. And it's just, you know, for me, it's a landslide. You know, once you find what you like, what you want to do. It's just, it just gets easier every time. Hmm. You seem to view creativity I, then as a more grounded, more grounded. I think it's something we all have thing. in us and we may or may not let ourselves experience it is all. Mm. And so when you talk about an actor's need to create, you know, the, the snobbish writer in me goes, ugh, ugh, they can't write. You know, uh, only if this writers can write, but I, I don't even think of myself as a writer yet. So, uh, and I know that's a weird thing to say since you've been in one of my plays, but, uh, <laughs> I don't, I, I'm way too humble about the process. Um, I'm, I'm almost uncomfortable with it. I, I haven't educated myself in, uh, the ways of playwriting and screenwriting, things like that, it's more been an organic creation on my own, which is exactly what we're talking about. Just some actor creating for himself and his friends, hmm. and it's turned hmm. into something more. And, uh, I mean, that that's who I am. That's exactly who I am. So who am I to judge others for considering doing the same? My God. Uh, it, I, a lot of my early stuff was just about a desire to create something. What's your, uh, what's your writing process like? Do you have any sort of... Uh I mean, we've, we've been talking about this, I yeah. realize, but I mean, like when you sit down to write, do you mm-hmm. have any sort of like special things that you put in place or any sort of rituals that you do? And I use the word ritual loosely. I'm not talking about lighting candles, some candles and chanting or anything. <laughs> some people do that and that's awesome. But sure, I mean, do hey. you, what, what is it like for you? I get a bucket of ice cream and a bottle of wine. No, I, uh, <laughs> and I light my hair on. No, what I, what I like to do is, uh, okay, let me back up. <laughs> There's two school of thoughts here. Where one is one is the person who outlines everything and yeah. knows where the place starts and ends, what each seat needs to knows what those beats are. Yeah, what yeah. each scene needs to be, where the where the climax is, where you know the resolving action. For for me, I think of those things, but only in my head. And I let it marinate I let an idea marinate for a while until I have if I write down anything early on, it's the characters and who they are like what they want, what they're trying to achieve, and maybe like <laughs> what kind of archetype they are as a starting place. Mm. And and obviously it has to grow from there. You have to give them more depth and it has to be more interesting than that. But 
who the characters are I'll have in my head, and maybe I'll write that out. So I can always go back and refer to it if I have a play with a lot of characters. My God, i got to make sure I, they all have separate, unique voices. Um, but I won't, I won't think about an outline right away. I, I usually let it be a huge spurt of creative stream of consciousness and see where it takes me. Um, group, the very first version of Group, uh, was written in two weeks, including lyrics, everything. Everything? Everything. Without uh, a lot scripts. of the music, yes. Wow. A lot of the music. And when I say two weeks, I'm not sitting at my desk all day long. My, I was watching my son full time while my wife, wife was working. At nights, I was working events and God knows what else to pay the bills. Uh, so it was literally an hour here, an hour there, but two weeks done. And I'd say about 85% of the dialogue that's still in the play today is from that original version. It's just all in a different order now because it's more structured right, and organized because, right. wow. my God, there was no outline. But again, wow. I started, and I knew where I wanted to go, and I knew some songs that I had to hit along the way. Um, and I just went and let it carry me and see where I went. And then I would go back after the fact, and then I would start going, well, does this make sense story-wise, outline-wise, uh, things like that. Can I talk about making sacrifices for the good of the story? Yes. And pull out my guitar here? Yeah. I'm so glad you said guitar. <laughs> yes, you, you can, you can uh, yeah. I'd like to tell you a story. <coughs> Do you hear me all right? Yeah. Um, all right. My life is a musical at this point, Trevor. I figure I might as well have music with everything that I do. <laughs> this is so cool. This is, this is a podcast, an inside acting podcast first. Because <laughs> well, my songwriting process is my writing process. It's all connected because it's how mm. I create. You know, It's all one mm-hmm. and the same. So this song, the history of this song, I wrote this little instrumentation thing uh, for, a fr- for a friend of mine to walk down the aisle. And I did. I played it at her wedding, and I may or may not have been on the bridesmaid's side. I'm not going to talk about it. I was not in a dress, though. Um, regrettably, I think we all missed an opportunity there. Uh, so, I'll start it here. Um, so, uh, yeah, I wrote this song, and then I decided to add some uh, lyrics. It's kind of like a Harry Chapin singer-songwriter kind of thing. Cool. We met accidentally so gently at a local bookstore Both had conviction for fiction When we live with more Long time, I said Yeah, long time Have you been? So it's a little story about two lovers meeting up after the fact where it went from there. Hmm. Small talk and blather, just chatter. Nothing more is said. Mattered was the gesture, not conjecture. The unspoken bed. Long time I said. So when I was writing a group, I thought, how could I incorporate this in the show? And I uh, decided to give it to one of the characters who was with a cheating, uh, whose boyfriend was cheating on him, and he ran into him. And the idea was, was through the course of the show, he became such a strong person, he was able to handle the situation. We were just two people. So different than before We were just two people Longing for more Long time Yeah, long time Long time Yeah, long time Have you been After the first stage reading, it became clear that the song, as much as I liked it, didn't fit the story. I had it as a second-to-last song of the show, 
and it didn't fit the momentum or the rhythm or, or it just ruined the whole ending of the show because you built up this huge climax, this emotional moment, real dramatic, super dark, all this sadness, and then this nice little light kind of, hey, I'm doing okay for a character whose resolution already occurred a half hour earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. And so it had to be cut. And as soon as that was said to me, it was like, hey, have you thought about taking the song out? Of course, my instant in my head reaction is, hell no, it's so freaking pretty. Because I had Josh on the piano and me on the guitar. and Well, cut it. I thought, why not? Let's give it a shot. Did a reading without it. Didn't miss it. And so that was important for me because it was like, you know what? The best idea in the room is the best idea in the room, whether it's mine or not. And I hear about so many playwrights. Uh, like I'm told from people who worked with me on that show, it's like, wow, you know, like you're a playwright who actually listened to my ideas, who actually <laughs> were able to do rewrites that fit the the good of the story. And it's like, why is there any other way to be? I don't understand that. I, what else is getting in your way? Pride? Because where does that get you exactly? I think it's important to have artistic integrity and artistic vision and to be proud of your work. But man, if there's an idea that can make your work better, come on. You know, and mm-hmm. so cutting that song, as much as it sucked for about thirty seconds, was a great move. And it exists. I just played it here. It exists somewhere. Right. Uh, maybe I'll put it in a future show. Maybe I'll put it in a CD. Who knows? But uh, yeah. So there you go. Uh, creative process is about editing the right things at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for playing that. That was that was really nice. Um, hey, I, I I read in that you had an interview in Broadway World yeah. on BroadwayWorld.com recently. And I read uh, the part that stuck out to me. I guess the the interviewer asked you a question like, what advice would you give to somebody who might want to write their own musical? I mean, because you've you've written a musical and you've had it produced on stage. I mean, that is, I don't think people realize how huge that is. Right. Um, It occurred to me, before you even get to the question, it occurred to me, like (laughs) opening night was when I finally had the realization, you know how comics talk about how terrified, how terrifying it is to go up there and figure out if your jokes are funny or not well in a musical with lots of jokes i realized oh my god i'm about to find out if i'm funny or not (laughs) if my jokes are funny and then i thought oh then you got playwrights who are terrified to put their stuff on because what if they don't what if their work isn't emotionally resonant and then you got musicians who are terrified that maybe people won't like my music and i was doing all of that at once and it wasn't in my control and you were just you had to be on stage too i was just the piano and musician i didn't have any lines so it was other people who were, you know, and it, and it occurred to me, it's like, I could really freak the hell out right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, uh, I think, I think being not being a speaking part in the show was, was good for that production because I was able to uh, not torpedo the whole thing with these thoughts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you were saying, I'm right sorry. No, no, I was just going <laughs> to say that, that what stuck out to me was, apart from Bachelor Andrew, was you said, just write. Right. And I, I know that sounds so simple. It's like, uh, yeah. yeah, that's what you do if you're a writer. But, um, I found in my own <clears throat> kind of creative process, I, as I continue to try to understand it, is that nothing happens until you just take a shot. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Until you actually like, like I've sit, like I, I edit. That's one of my day jobs. I sit down with Final Cut and I go through hours of footage and I, I sit there and I'll stare at a blank timeline forever and I'll be like, <laughs> I don't know how to start this video. There's not like right. a clear snippet that needs to go first. And so what I eventually have to do is just grab one, almost like close my eyes, mm-hmm. grab one, and then stick it in the timeline and just build on that from there. And if yeah. it's wrong, just then it. I'll go back and fix it. But that is the scariest thing in the world, to just <laughs> to just be like, well, I have all these ideas, but yeah. I don't know which one's supposed to go first. And yeah. people can sit there for months. I've sat, I've sat there for years. Well, you know, if, if, that's, if that's who you are as a creator, um, I think the outline idea is a great idea for you. If you know what the show is, you just don't know where to start. Um, Start in the middle, find a scene that inspires you, and write that. I mean, if you have an idea about a part that you know is going to be in the show, you just don't know where, write that. Just write it. And you can always plug it in and rearrange it and flip it around later. Just write the little things first, and you'll, you'll, you know, you got to have pieces of the puzzle in order to put it together. Right, yeah. right. A lot of people use index cards for that kind of thing. Sure. Do you, do you Post make it use of that at all? Yeah. Everything's in my head. Let me tell you what a mess my brain is right now. The entire show of group is in my head. I haven't written Still? down one note of this entire show. <laughs> I We've know. performed it, and there's no sheet music. Um, <laughs> Now, uh, I have received a nice cable that I got online from Hong Kong for like two bucks. I gotta love eBay. And I can now officially plug in my keyboard into my computer, so I have no more excuses. Uh, I will start putting the sheet music. But yeah, I, cool. I, I don't write these things out. I don't, um, 
<laughs> Again, I'm I'm a bad person to learn from because I set bad examples. But for me, it's all just up there, man. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have notes anywhere. If I have notes anywhere now, it's with music, and it's I'll record something on my phone so that I don't forget it. Can oh, I tell you? Cool. Uh, our producer recently had a a a son, and Facebook messaged me that. Yeah, so Lost in Color, your little romantic ditty is uh, what I sing him to sleep. Wow. And I I almost couldn't respond. I was so, you know. <laughs> wow. That's what, that's what something you created actually affected someone's life in a way. And for me, that's just, I mean, that's what it's about. Yeah. yeah. Because there's, I, I'm writing this constant, constant line, this edge of extremes with my work where I'm either the worst person ever as far as uh, musical theater creators or someone who might revolutionize theater. And I, I go through these extremes constantly where I'll wake up and I go, God, this is really important. And the next day I'll go, no one will ever like it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm serious. I'm constantly in the struggle. And, and I think probably most artists are. But but for me, when I hear that something that I've done has actually touched someone, uh, it's it, it, it really just solidifies why I do it. Um, wow. It's, yeah. That's wonderful. That's probably a great note to end on. Um, because <laughs> right. I don't think how you, I don't know how you could top touching someone's life and changing it for the better through your, through your art. Right cool. Well, this has been fascinating, Adam. Thank you so much for, for coming over and sitting down and talking about, uh, hashing it out about creativity and singing some songs. I mean, My this pleasure. Is, this is great. If people want to learn more about you or find you on the internet, yes. I mean, you're on Twitter. I know. I am AES Piano as an Adam Emperor Southern Piano. Cool. And uh, just started the new website, the new branding of, of myself, so to speak. Uh, that's just adamemperorsouthern.com. Cool, cool. We need to get to your photography, which I would love to talk about, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's mostly just event photography these days, stuff to pay the bills, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, a little bit, little bit here, a little bit there. Again, pulled in all directions, shiny objects. But, uh, <laughs> trying to focus on the playwriting. But, my God, if anyone wants to pay me for anything, I will probably do it. Um, <laughs> right on. It's another shiny object for <laughs> exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, uh, well, thanks so much, Adam. Well, thank you. Okay, guys, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed our interview with Adam Emperor Southerd, writer, director, actor, photographer. Um, really kind of all-around great guy and very creative guy. Um, it was really fun talking to him about his creative process and, and then he, he, seeing it in action, you know, as he busted out his guitar there and, <laughs> and shared some music with us. And it's, I really, I, you know, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I really... I, I keep coming around to the idea of having musicians in the podcast. I know we kind of polled our listeners about a year ago and people were kind of on the fence about it. I'd love to pose that question again. If you guys are interested in hearing musicians be interviewed in the podcast about their creative process and how they market their music and all that stuff, let us know and we'll see if we can, uh, you know, get some musicians on here. Well, I mean, you know, it's really interesting. I was just about to say the last couple episodes that we had interviews were, were writers um, yeah, we've you know, got Mar- a couple more in the queue too. Yeah, Mariana is a is an actor as well, but you know we've got a, uh, we've had a few writers on, and we're going to have more. So we've kind of opened up this this pathway of of talking to writers or actors who have become writers or writers who have become actors or people yeah. who do both, whatever yeah. that is. Um, and it's you know it's it's really awesome to hear about their different processes, like how different was Adam from Mariana in terms of the way that they approach the work. It was yeah. very yeah. Very different. Very different. Yeah. And it's so funny because the, the through line with all of them is just do it. <laughs> yes. Know? Just sit down and do the work. Yes. And it's so much, it's so easy to read books and make excuses and, and go back to learning and like all this. But it's like when you, when it just, nothing is stopping you from sitting down with a pen and a piece of paper and just writing. You don't have to have a computer, you know, my computer's mm-hmm. in the shop. It's like, just borrow a pencil and a napkin from somebody <laughs> and start writing. Borrow you know. a pencil and a napkin. I love that. Sometimes that's all it takes. That's right. That's, that's how J.K. Rowling started Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, in a coffee shop when she was like totally broke. Living out of her car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, picks of the week. I know you got one. I do, sir. Uh, this is People are going to make fun of me for this. I'm going to get emails, whatever. I don't care. They're amazing. Uh, my pick of the week this week is the, the Hunger Games trilogy, which is the next big... It's going to be the next big thing like Harry Potter... Speaking of Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Twilight, although I didn't read Twilight and I kind of despise the movies, but anyway, uh, it's, it's young adult fiction. Um, like I said, people are probably gonna make fun of me for this, but 
it takes place in like this, um, future North America where the country has been divided up into like these 13 districts and the, the, the 13th tried to rebel against the capital and they completely crushed them because they had way more resources. And from that day forward, they, um, forced the other 12 districts to give up two tributes, what they call tributes, uh, a, a, a boy and a girl between the age of like, uh, 12 and 18. And they go and uh, participate in this thing called the hunger games where they have to fight to the death and there can be only one winner. This is young adult fiction, young adult fiction. Damn dude. Swear to Bob. It sounds awesome. Yeah. It's really amazing. I just got through the first book. I'm starting into the second. Um, I can't put them down and people are making fun of me and I don't care. You know what? Really good. The Harry Potter books were really good too. And that was young adult fictions. And, and so were the twilight. I didn't read the twilight books, but everybody I know who did read them was like, should I tell people that these books are really good? This is embarrassing. I'm 27 years old. You know, but so I'm all for it, man. The Hunger Game. Who's it by? The Hunger Games by uh, Susan Collins, I think is her name. Right on. Cool. Yeah. So check that out. Uh, they're not all out on paperback right now. So they're a little pricey. I think the first book is. Maybe the second one is. Um, and they're really difficult to find at the library. Um, so I just went out and bought the whole trilogy on hardback cause nice. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> nice. You know, Larry Moss in his book, uh, uh, is it intent to live? Yeah. He talks about, uh, one of the things he says is the most important things an actor can do is read fiction. Just constantly reading fiction because it well, exercises that that visual muscle. Yeah, Larry is very into uh, an actor's imagination. Yeah, and uh, and exercising your imagination as if it were a muscle. And he yeah. has he has these weird sessions where he'll spend like an hour just daydreaming about something. And if he's working on a role or helping a client work on a role, he'll imagine their situation and try to imagine like their history. And he's all, so he's constantly working that muscle. Hmm. And um, and and he says like if you don't do that how are you supposed to do it when you like have to when you're given a role and you're and you're supposed to yeah. act this thing that you've never experienced how are you supposed to imagine yourself in that if that muscle is not yeah. built up you know and that's that's really powerful yeah. this is kind of a good segue into my pick of the week because perfect they say that when you visualize something very clearly as clearly as you can at least your subconscious does not know the difference between an imagined experience and a real experience what yeah and they've done experiments oh, with noodle this. bake they've <laughs> noodle bake uh, is it a wow. knowledge bomb or a noodle it's a noodle bake. it's both but yeah. it's, I, I mean it's a knowledge bomb that baked my noodle there you go there you go then they did experiment they've done experiments with basketball players uh and had them they had a certain like subset of basketball players, uh, I think visualize. Oh, I've heard doing about this free experiment. throws for an hour, and then the other just did free throws for an hour. And when they actually did the test, the ones who had just visualized it did just as well as the ones who had actually physically gone out there and done it. Right. And um, the reason this is a good segue into my pick of the week is because I actually have two picks of the week. One of them is is probably not the most uh, attainable for most people, so I'm I'm going to supplement it with one that is. Um, the book Maximum Achievement, which I think I mentioned a few episodes ago by Brian Tracy. Mm -hmm. He talks a lot about the subconscious and visualization and um, training your brain to kind of work for you rather than against you. Um, and that's a great book. It's I'm reading it now for the second time, and I'm, I, most of you guys know I'm kind of into that self-help stuff. And um, it's really kind of baking my noodle and uh, and changing my life a little bit. So that's the more attainable of the two. I was going to say, was that the not attainable one? Or the the, the unattainable <laughs> one is a is a video series called Wake Up Productive by a guy named uh, Evan Pagan. I kind of got it by accident. A friend of mine had it. He kind of said, hey, man, you want these videos? And I said, sure. So I I got access to the website um, and then downloaded the videos. And that was like a year or two ago. And I just started watching them now. And it's essentially a time management program. But it kind of works in with all this kind of like subconscious visualization stuff. And it is incredible. The, the things that it teaches you about just how to kind of reclaim your time and really kind of run your life more effectively. And, uh, that book by Brian Tracy and this program kind of combined in my life. I feel like I'm transforming. Like, I feel like I'm being born again. Um, you're a beautiful the, butterfly. The, the, re <laughs> the, the reason, the reason I say that the second one is probably not as attainable is because this is a $500 program. Whoa. Yeah. Um, how did you get a hold of it again? A, a friend was like, Hey man, I got these videos. You want, you want to do them with me? And I was like, sure. And I just thought maybe it was like, you know, 200 bucks online somewhere. And. 
I just started doing them, looked it up online, and it's 500 bucks. So wow. um, if you guys can swing it, it is worth every penny. And I'm not even done the thing yet. I'm not even done the program yet. Um, but, uh, if you, uh, if I think if you go to wakeupproductive.com, you can even see like an intro video, which is almost an hour long, uh, that just kind of details the things he goes into. Check him out. Brian Tracy's maximum achievement and Evan Pagan's wake up productive. And of course they'll all be on our website at yesatactingpodcast.com. So with that, I think the, I think we're, we're done for episode 45. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, uh, that sounds like a, a, a nice complete breakfast. I mean, episode. (laughs) So you guys know how to get in touch with us. Hit up our website, insideactingpodcast.com to leave us a comment. You can also shoot us an email at insideactingpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at one, two, one, three, two actors. That's one, two, one, three, two, 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 eight, six, seven, seven. You can send us a tweet. We are at twitter.com slash insideacting and individually, uh, we are twitter.com slash Trevor Algott and twitter.com slash I almost said AJ Meyer, but I don't have that. Somebody else does. Twitter.com slash digital actor. Sweet. You can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash inside acting. What else? You can leave us a review on actorated.com or iTunes. Last but not least, you can donate to the podcast. Yes, which is easily done from our website as well, insideactingpodcast.com. Head on over to the right-hand side, there's a little yellow donate button, and you can either leave one lump sum donation which we would love you for, or you can subscribe to the podcast by donating a $3 bagel, a $5 coffee, or a $10 lunch, or a $20 podcast. <laughs> uh, monthly, every month. It will, yes. it will come automatically yes. out of your account, so you don't have to worry about, am I paying those guys to... Yeah. To, to you know, By schlep around those, yeah. <laughs> schlep around those uh, all that equipment and 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 drive to uh, to the interviews and, and drive over to each other's houses to record and all that stuff. Um, you don't have to worry about it. Put your mind at ease and just yes. subscribe. And remember that you can write that off. We're coming up on tax time, and one of the things they ask you a big write off you can have for tax time is uh, education expenses. And if you donate to this podcast, it is an education expense, and you can write that off and get a little more money back from the IRS. So. Um, don't forget about that little kind of fringe benefit there. Aside from just doing an awesome thing, like supporting this kick-ass podcast. Right? Right, guys? Right. right. Hello? <laughs> crickets? Hello? You're going to put crickets in here. Hello? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> uh, so thank you guys for listening. For episode 45, I'm Trevor Elga. And I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, grab a pencil and a napkin.